Well, good morning, New City Church, and Happy New Year. So glad to be with you. Uh, Three things I want to say before I begin. Uh, The first one has to do with this guy right here. Um, Long story short, I've been doing word working for a couple years, and my wife, Christina, is always terrified that I'm going to cut it that way, and I wish that was the case. I honestly don't exactly know how it happened, but last night after... uh, Grilling, I've got, a, I've got this like Blackstone, black, uh, this flat top griddle, and uh, after cleaning the little utensils, I was bringing them back outside, putting them in my little grill cart, and somehow, someway, completely sliced my middle finger open. And so I'm going to try to replay the scene this afternoon to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, but eight stitches later, and in a lot of pain, I'm here. In fact, you got a picture. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I do have a picture on my phone if you want to see it, but I'm not going to lie. It really hurts, but it's okay. And so that's where that happened. I was told I need to keep my hand elevated, so I might just preach like this <laughs> all morning. Uh, second thing, really excited about, uh, <laughs> Triangle Fellowship. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I should have done that. Um, <laughs> Triangle Fellowship Church is launching today in Mooresville, North Carolina, so not really far from us at all. If you, those of you part of New City, you know uh, uh, Stephen, who is leading that church, preached at New City twice last year, and so they're launching today. We're really excited about them, and again, because of your generosity, we are uh, financially partnering with them $10,000 over the next two years to make that happen, and so just want to celebrate them, and you can say a prayer for them this morning. And then uh, last thing I want to mention, uh, tomorrow starts our quarterly five days of prayer and fasting. We do this once a quarter at New City Church. We're going to be handing out these little fasting cards as you leave. Um, We just take five days. You know, it's the beginning of the year, so it's a great time to do this. People think, I want to grow spiritually. And so what we often think is, I'm going to read my Bible more and go to church more and pray more. And all those things are good. But one of the historic traditions in Christianity is to go before the Lord and spending some time in prayer and fasting. And we want to make this really simple. And so we recommend uh, you could do a couple of 25-hour fasts. You could fast from sunup to sundown. You could fast from one meal or from one dietary group. Uh, we've got different types of ways you can fast on the card. And on the back, it's just five simple things to pray for. Just take a few minutes over these next five days uh, to seek the Lord and, and see what he might do. And I always love to hear the stories after that. And so that's happening. Again, we'll hand out these little cards as you Today. Now, uh, today we're beginning our new series called Made to Relate, and I am really excited because for many of you, this is going to be the best sermon you have heard all year. Okay, not good. Okay, somebody said they were going to boo when I said that, and they didn't, so I'll take that as a win. Um, This is not, however, your typical relationship series. We're talking about biblical wisdom for all of life's relationship, and so we're not just talking about marriage and dating. In fact, today, we're preaching on something, and next week, preaching on something you have rarely, if probably ever, heard preached on. Uh, Today, we're talking about singleness, and next week, we're talking about friendship. And so if you are single, you have sat through who knows how many marriage sermons, and so I hope that this is helpful for you today. Uh, At the same same time, if you are married, at the end of the sermon, I talk to a lot of our single family and friends that are part of New City Church to share what it's like to be a single Christian adult. And we're going to be able to hear from them uh, what it's like so that we might be able to love our single friends well. And so today we're going to look at what does scripture actually say about singleness? And I want to say this as we begin, uh, we believe in scripture's teaching and the commitment uh, that sex is a good thing that God created in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman, and that leads to human flourishing. And so that's our conviction as we preach this this morning. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to first read from Matthew chapter 19. Uh, We'll be at a couple of passages this morning, but they'll all be on the screen. So you can turn there if you want, or you can just look on the screen. Uh, Matthew 19, some really quick context. Uh, Jesus is talking to a group of people about marriage. And in fact, he just ended up talking about divorce. And what he says is that marriage is a commitment, is a lifelong commitment, and generally speaking, should only be broken by adultery. Now, there's different various um, reasons why divorce 
course, might be a legitimate option. Jesus is speaking to a specific context at a specific uh, point in time. And and basically what he's saying is that you should not, particularly in a patriarchal society, when a man can leave his wife for pretty much anything, that you should not do that and you should commit to her for the rest of your life. And the disciples even say to uh, to the effect, that's a really hard teaching. It's better not to even be married if we're not going to do that. To which Jesus says, that's right. If you are not willing to commit and to love your spouse, it would be better not to marry. And then in verse 12 of Matthew 19, he gives a couple of examples of people who will not or cannot get married. And he says this in Matthew 19, verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. No, let me explain what's happening here. A eunuch, technically speaking, was someone who could not or would not have sexual relations. Oftentimes, it might be because of physical complications they were born with, or in the ancient world, uh, many times men who looked after the king's harem or the king's women would have to be, in some form of way, castrated so that they would not do anything sexually with the king's women. And so Jesus is talking about here using a common cultural term to talk about people who will not uh, engage sexually and will not get married. Now, I think for our context, to best understand how Jesus might have described it in our modern culture today is to use the word, maybe not eunuch, but celibate to explain what Jesus is actually saying. Uh, Those who are celibate, who are refraining because they cannot or for various reasons will not or are not in a season to pursue sexual relationships, uh, they will not do that. And I think in Matthew 19, you can see three different types of those who are single or those who are celibate. So let me explain these really quickly. The first one, the first group of people you could see Jesus explaining it, talking about here, is those that are celibate from birth. They are celibate from birth. Those who cannot pursue a sexual relationship, perhaps from some physical complication, or maybe someone who's asexual or literally has no real desire. Like they, this is not really a big desire for them for whatever reason. Or I might add in this category, those who have non-God-honoring sexual impulses who do not engage those sexual desires because of their love for the Lord. So it's not that they don't want to, but because maybe their impulses are not God-honoring, they refrain. Uh, This also could include people who are same-sex attracted. Now, I do want to say this. I'm not saying if you deal, or those who uh, who deal with same-sex attraction, I'm not saying they are born that way or they're not born that way. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is that all of us can have various bents and desires in our lives. And just because we have them, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, just because we have a desire doesn't mean it's actually okay and doesn't actually mean it should be pursued, sexual or not. Just because you and I might have desires, it doesn't actually mean it is God honoring. And so you might have people who can't or won't engage sexually, and so they live a celibate life or they're trying to pursue living a celibate life. Now, here's what I know. When we talk about pursuing a celibate life, in our culture today, we can kind of dogpile on that really fast, right? In our culture today, it's like if you don't have a sexual partner and if you're not experienced life sexually, it's like you live this dark, depressing life and you go home every night to a lonely apartment and eat microwavable dinners while you're watching an infomercial. I mean, that is how we kind of view the life today. Now, what's interesting is that there are actually quite a few uh, same-sex attracted Christians who write about their experience and what they point, what the picture they paint is completely opposite of that. 
For example, one author, Dan Matson, writes it, uh, says it this way. He says, my life isn't a life of misery. You can put that on the screen. My life isn't a life of misery, and I'm not doomed to celibacy or a life of heartbreaking loneliness. I reject the representation of a life striving for celibacy as miserable. And part of my mission in life is to debunk all the dreary, droopy troops out there of what celibacy is all about. Not saying it's not difficult, but he's not saying I'm depressed all the time. Uh, another biblical author, Sarah Cullen, uh, she, when she talks about singleness, she writes it this way. Uh, what if we celebrated singleness instead of treating it as an issue to be fixed? What might happen if precious people made in the image of God knew they were infinitely worthy because of Christ and not because of their relationship status? Or another guy by the name of Ron, who is a same-sex attracted Christian, he says it this way, is celibacy difficult? Yes. So is marriage. So is grad school. Life is pain, princess. Sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> he says, is it frustrating at times? Yes. But watch someone raising toddlers in some, some time, and it might change your perspective on the challenges of celibacy. <laughs> and have there been times I wanted to give up? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. And do I regret it? No. Again, not that it's not hard and it's not difficult, but it is not this depressing life cannot be experienced because I am pursuing celibacy. And so I think in Matthew 19, the first category Jesus gives is people who are celibate from birth. They cannot, or maybe they have no desire, or they have desire that is not God honoring. And so because of their love for the Lord, they pursue celibacy. Uh, the second group, and it's probably the largest group, is what you could call dedicated celibates. Dedicated celibates. Now, I just want to say this. The reason for using the word celibate for Christian singles is that, again, that the Christian is, decided to, uh, is dedicated to sex within the confines of marriage. And so regardless if you are single, what type of single you might find yourself or you might be, you have given yourself over to the lordship of Jesus and the biblical teachings for sex. Not that it's hard, not that you're always perfect at it, but that at least you're desiring to strive towards that way. And so a dedicated celibate is someone who has sex desires, uh, whether from birth or in a dedicate celibate, someone who wants to pursue them, but in this current season of life, for whatever reason, that is not an option for them, and so they refrain. And so this could include divorcees, this could include widows, and this would include those who have never been married, but would like to be married, and since they are not married right now, even though they have these desires, they are refraining from pursuing them. They look forward to being married or perhaps married again. But it hasn't happened yet, and so they are dedicated to the Lord in their celibacy. If something were different, they would love to be in a different season of life. But for now, since they are not, they are dedicated celibates. They are trying to honor the Lord. And then the third category you could see that Jesus gives is what you could call vowed celibates. Now, uh, someone who vows celibate is someone who actually has sexual desires, but for whatever reason is going to try to uh, not pursue them at all and live a single life on purpose. Now, it's crazy and interesting in our culture uh, to hear someone in our culture who celebrates sex. It's almost like a God that you have to be sexually active to feel what it, to know what it really means to be human, to hear someone who is a vowed celibate. Now, this was 
was also uh, pretty crazy in the ancient world, but for a completely different reason. So in the ancient world, uh, children were your inheritance. Uh, they were your retirement plan. They were your legacy. And so if you would not, if you would intentionally choose not to have children, that would be a hard thing. People would be like, why would you do that? Now for us today to intentionally pursue celibacy looks weird because sex again is kind of like our God and you have to have sex to be fully human. And so to uh, intentionally renounce that uh, because you want to focus on the Lord can be looked at as strange. Now, maybe some examples of that in our culture today could be priests or could be nuns. It's not that they don't, don't want to get married or, or anything like that, but they have vowed themselves to the Lord and they don't want to be distracted for maybe lack of a better word by marriage. And so they have chosen to remain celibate. And so I think those are the three different types of celibacy or singleness Jesus talks about. Those who are that way from birth who cannot or won't, those who are dedicated who have a desire, but because they're not in a season or in a state to pursue that desire, they are refraining. And those that vowed celibates, those that want to do it, but because they are trying to honor the Lord with their life and do other things, they're going to strive to live their whole lives as vowed celibates. Now, I know that's a lot of information. Uh, regardless if you are single, which type of single you might be, here's what we need to understand. That in the scriptures, singleness is actually described as a gift from God. Singleness in the scriptures is described actually as a gift from God. Not a punishment, not second-class status, but rather a gift. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, it will be on the screen. The Apostle Paul is writing to, uh, to the church in Corinth. This is in the mid-50s AD, about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. And they've got some pretty, they've, they've got some stuff going on that Paul's even like, even non-Christians would look at you and, and be like, why are you putting up with this? Some pretty crazy stuff. And then in verse chapter 7, he starts talking about singleness and marriage. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, one of the early leaders in the early church. He says it this way. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, which he is single. <laughs> but, at, but each has his own gift. One person has a gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they shouldn't marry, since it is better to marry than burn with desire. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that marriage may be desired, and it certainly can be a good thing, but it is not mandatory to faithfully follow Jesus. It's not a question of being faithful or unfaithful. In fact, Paul actually wishes that more people would choose to do what he is doing and not get married at all. Now, it is debated as a side note whether or not Paul was married sometime in the past and something happened to his spouse. Personally, I am persuaded by that view for various reasons. Um, but regardless, he, in verse 8, again, he encourages people who are unmarried or who are widows. And widows typically refer to women because in a patriarchal society where everything flowed through the man, through jobs, resources, finances, being a widowed woman was a really hard thing. And so he says, I would, I think it's actually better to remain single if you can, but if you have a desire, you should pursue that desire of marriage so that you can honor the Lord in that way. Now, here's what we know about Paul because he was single, that Paul traveled all over the place and simply did a lot of things that he could not have done if he was married. 
And his point here is that it was, a, it was God's gift to him that he was married. That just like there are certain gifts and advantages of being married, there are certain gifts and advantages of being single. Even if you don't prefer the situation that you are in, even if it is hard and if it, even if it is difficult, there are still things about it that the scriptures say are a gift. And so Paul kind of funnily, uh, funnily, interestingly enough, probably opposite of how our culture does today, he, he concedes that if you desire marriage, you should get married. But if you can, unlike him, avoid it, well, then you should. And so, again, I just think it's funny that in our culture today, and there's reasons I, I understand it why, but we kind of view singleness as the less than option. And Paul kind of says that singleness is actually encouraged to build up the family of God, that we build the family of God through discipling and sharing the gospel with other people. And so a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians in verse 28, he says more. He says it this way. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries someone who has never been married before, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. <laughs> now, here's what Paul's saying, just high-level overview. I'm just going to do some high-level stuff here. Uh, Paul is saying that marriage has a lot of troubles on its own. Now, of course, singleness also has a lot of troubles on its own. But marriage, what I think what he's saying is not all rainbows and butterflies, that there are difficulties to marriage as well. And then he says this in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as, those they had no, as though they had none. Those who weep as those they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did, uh, did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. Sorry, Amazon. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For, in, for this world in its current form is passing away. Now, again, just high level here. Uh, Paul, I think, is trying to orient our hearts and our minds around eternity and not just the cares and the desires of the present. Not that your cares and desires in this present don't matter, but don't be so focused on them that we miss the point of everything. And what Paul is saying here is that there is a future that is coming and that we need to calibrate our lives around this eternal future. And so that we should therefore prioritize our lives accordingly, that we should consider the Lord in all of our decisions. Then he says this in verse 32. He says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may, ple how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned of the, about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. In other words, I think what Paul is saying here is that one of the big advantages that Scripture gives to singleness, one, as Paul mentioned here, is that singles avoid the troubles of marriage. Now, that there is an advantage, even a gift of being single. Now, of course, these troubles that married people have is that their hearts and minds can be divided between their spouse and their kids, and they can be anxious about a lot of things that they simply would not be anxious about had they not gotten married. 
Now, hear me. This doesn't mean that you should just be happy if you're single and you don't want to be. That Paul's not saying like, hey, it's all great if we're single. It's not what somebody's saying. It's just, I think, what he's pointing out, that there are some problems that marriage brings, and there are some freedoms that single people have that married people don't. And I think he's just trying to highlight that. In other words, if I could summarize with three things, three, three things to summarize, I think what Paul is showing us here, what scripture is showing us on the verses we read about singleness is this. Here's the first one. That singles are not second-class citizens. They are not inferior Christians. They are not less than. They are not less than people who aren't married. There's not like, oh, I'm so sorry you're single. Like, no, it stinks to be. Like, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, what Jesus has done for you is what redeems you. Not marriage or anything else. If you are single here, although you might, maybe you have felt that way. Maybe people have said things. But scripturally speaking, you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. The second thing we see is that singleness is not a punishment. It's not a, hey, if you had done this better, if you had acted this way, if you had not done this thing, then you could be married. If you just would be more content, then you can be married. If, you had, if God, is, God is trying to teach you a lesson that if you were married, he couldn't have shown you, and so he's going to make you stay single. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that singleness is actually a punishment from God. In fact, Paul ironically seems to point towards the opposite. You're not a second-class citizen if you're single. It's not a punishment if you're single. And the third thing is this. That marriage is not the ultimate goal. Now, hear me. There's nothing wrong with desiring marriage. There's nothing wrong with wanting, maybe if you are married, your single friends to be married. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not the end goal of the Christian life. It is following Jesus, knowing Jesus, experience his grace and his mercy in your life. You do not have to be married to be a varsity Christian. And if you're single, you're just JV. Now, we might unfortunately say that sometimes or in how we act or behave, but scripturally speaking, marriage is not the ultimate goal for the Christian. It is knowing and loving the Lord. So if you are single, you are not second class, you are not inferior, you are not being punished by God, and you are not being withheld from the ultimate goal of following Jesus. It is not marriage. Now, I do want to say this. Um, We mentioned a couple of reasons, even Paul mentions here, a couple of things that marriage can be difficult, that, that marriage can make, that can make life difficult. And what I want to do just real quickly is I want to point out two things that, that through conversations that I've had with others in preparation for the sermon, uh, two things that are, I think, uniquely uh, difficult for those who are single. Not just that single people only experience them, but that single people experience them in unique ways. And so in my conversations preparing the sermon, there were two things that, that stuck out to me a lot. One was this. One of the unique struggles of singles is sexual temptation. Now, of course, this might make sense. And of course, if you are married, you still have that. There's still the issue of pornography and all these other things. But here's the reality. If you are trying to faithfully follow the Lord, there is an outlet, if you are married, to pursue your sexual desires in a way that's honoring and life-giving. If you are trying to pursue and honor the Lord and you are single, that is not currently an option or available to you. And so sexual temptation is experienced by everyone. And again, just because we have a desire doesn't mean, therefore means it's right and must be acted on. But if, but if sex is your God and no one is allowed to stop you from worshiping it, which is what our culture tells us today, then sexual temptations for a single celibate Christian is really uniquely difficult. It is a temptation that married people don't have to the same degree as those who are single. It is harder to fight sexual temptation as a single person. Absolutely. 
right? Again, to dedicate your life and desires to the Lord means that you are fighting to remain sexually celibate. You might not always be perfect, but you are pursuing it, and that's hard. And the second thing that's uniquely hard for those that are single compared to those that are married is loneliness. Now, I I do want to say this. There is something uniquely difficult about being married and being lonely. In fact, as I was reflecting on this sermon, you know, when when you're a kid and you read about like arranged marriages, I don't know if this is like this for you, you're like, that's awful, that's so oppressive, how dare they? And then you get older and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, like, for real, like, I love my children, and I would never, you know, I'm not, obviously not going to do this in our culture, like, but I would, like, I would never arrange them to be married with someone they would, that they would be miserable with, right? And so I think, I just want to say this, if you're dating currently, you should allow your friends and people that you trust to speak into that relationship. There is nothing quite as difficult as being lonely in your marriage. That is a hard place to be. Now, that being said, If you are married and lonely, there are at least avenues for you to work that out. There's counseling. There's things that you can do. If you are single, even if you have lots of great friends who loves you and care for you, it is not quite the same as having a spouse. That you, everywhere you go, you have to go by yourself. You have to make decisions by yourself. You can't like just, hey, I don't want to go to this thing, but I'm going to hang out with my spouse. Being lonely is a unique thing that can be particularly difficult for all people, but especially those who are single because they do not have a spouse. So sexual temptation and loneliness can be hard for single people in particular. Now, uh, what I want to do, we've talked a little bit about what Scripture says about singleness and and how it's not a a bad thing. What I also wanted to do, a little bit different than normal, is I, again, talked to a lot of single people, many single people at our church and some friends outside New City, and I asked them a, a list of questions to hear their feedback on. For those of us that are married, perhaps you've been married for a while, for those of us that are married, that it might allow us to understand what it's like to be single and to love our single friends well. And so I, I put these up. They're, they're going to be on the screen so you can read, read, read along with me. Um, I just I asked a couple of questions, and I just kind of pulled the ones that I heard a lot similarities of. And so the first question I asked was this. What is hard about being single in the church? What is hard about being single in the church? One person said this way. Going to church as a single person is hard. It is difficult to walk into a new place on your own. Once I visited a time or two, I have to decide if this is the place for me. I have no one to decide for except myself. I have no one to ask their opinion because it only affects me. This can also be a benefit. I don't have to consider the opinions of my spouse or kids. If it is not a good fit for me, I move on. And then this person said this, which I heard from a few people, what would one more or one less attending really affect? I have sometimes felt like my attendance or absence wouldn't be noticed. It's a hard thing about being single. Another person said it this way, I find the hardest part about being single in the church is coming alone, sitting alone, and leaving alone. The aloneness feels accentuated in church, and I don't know if I can really put my finger on why that is. Neither can I. Uh, (laughs) That was bad. (laughs) Maybe it's because pursuing Jesus along someone is so much fun, and Sundays highlight just how much I am pursuing Jesus alone. Now, even if you're single, you might have friends that you sit with, but you never know who you're going to sit You never know who you're going to talk to. You never know the moods of people coming in. Being single in the church without a spouse can be hard. I had another person tell me about uh, being unqualified for ministry. She was interviewing to be on this church, in this ministry role on this church staff, and she kept being asked what her husband one day was going to think and if he was going to approve. And she was trying to say, well, my qualifications for my husband is that he loves the Lord. I don't think he cares where I work. And so uh, sometimes even in, in, in the ministry, whether it's like on church staff or some other places, it's like if you're not married, well, you can do like the JV ministry, but you can't do like the real stuff. You can't really lead. 
And so I heard a lot of that as well. I'm single, so I'm kind of viewed as, well, once I get married, then I can give, be given real responsibility. Another question I asked is what single people wished married people would stop saying to them. Here's some of the things that I heard. That motherhood is the highest calling. I think the highest calling is knowing God and making much of him. Nowhere in scripture is motherhood ranked, uh, ranked as higher. Nowhere in scripture is mothering ranked as higher than not mothering. Another person said it this way, and I heard variations, variations of these comments. It'll come when you least expect it, or you need to be content, or it'll happen if it is your desire. Now, I just want to say this. I think many times married people can say this with good intentions, but here's the thing. Can you imagine, for example, telling someone who struggles with infertility, well, just, get, just, just be thankful for all the money you're saving. Can you imagine saying that? Or can you uh, imagine saying, you need to be content in your childlessness, and once you are content, then God will give you a child. We don't say that. And, and so singleness is a deep struggle for many people. And so to make these flippant comments, even with good intentions, is wrong, and it is hard, and it is completely unhelpful. One person said it this way, people don't know God's will for my life. I could die tomorrow and not get married. And there's just this seemingly frustration of like, well, if you just want it, it'll happen at some point. And I know I think many times that those of us that are married say this with good intentions, but it is just not helpful. We do not know. And just because we want something does not mean God's going to give it to us. So that was unhelpful. And here, here's a third question uh, I asked. Uh, what do you want married adults to know about what it is like being a single adult? Here are some answers. Single people are able to serve and disciple others. Married adults can ask the opinion of single adults. But also, single adults should okay, feel okay with giving that advice. Whether it's for marriage or for other things, we can ask people who are single. Another person said it this way, uh, the single life is not an incomplete life. That getting married is not the plan A, and being single is plan B. Plan A is me and Jesus. Anything else is just extra. Come on, somebody. You can say amen to that. <clears throat> One person said, I want to hang out with you and your family. Invite us over for family lunch or dinner. Let me be an aunt or uncle to your children, and I pray I can be a godly influence on them. And let's do life together. Uh, another person said, um, there is more to a single person than pursuit of a spouse. We have hobbies and other interests. So instead of always asking about our dating life, ask us about our other interests. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Someone said it this way, finding single adult men pursuing Christ hard in all areas of their life is so challenging. And any woman who doesn't find that in a man is better off being single. And that man being single as well. Sometimes I feel like people pair up just because they have the willingness to attend church in common when marriage is so much bigger than that. You want to talk about advice from single people? There you go. And so here's what I want to do. I know I'm going a little bit longer. I want to end this way. I want to uh, give some encouragement for those who are single. And then I want to give some encouragement to us for those of us who are married to help love our single friends well. I want to just say a couple things if you're single. Um, I hope that you would know that you do not need to wait until you have a spouse to pursue the things that God is leading you towards. And I'm just, I'm really sorry if at New City or anywhere else in your life, you have felt that you can't do the thing God's leading you to do because you're not married yet. And so I hope that you know scripture says that is emphatically untrue. Uh, a lot of the big life-changing people in scripture were single. Paul, this guy named Jesus, you might've heard of him. Like we would be in a, bit, a lot of trouble if single people couldn't make a big difference. And so I hope that you know you do not have to wait to be married, to make a difference.
Um, I, I get in the same vein, you don't have to wait until you have a spouse or lead to lead or make a difference. Again, we have a whole bunch of people in the Bible who say otherwise. And I, and I just want to say this too. If you are single and you do not want to be single, can I just tell you that I am sorry? I'm sorry. It is so hard to have a desire that you want. That is a, hear me, it is a good desire. And then you have things like the holidays that we just saw and people are posting pictures of their families and their kids and all their things. And we know that social media is just the highlight reel, but still, but still, it's the stinging pain of I want that and I don't have it. And there's not much I can do to change that. Many of you that are single have tried and it's just for whatever reason hasn't worked out yet. And so I just want to say, if you're single and you don't want to be, I am really sorry. That is really hard. That's a hard place to be. And I'm sorry. And for those of us that are married, here's what I want to do. Uh, here's what I'm my guessing. My guess is you're hearing this, and maybe your heart goes out to those who are single. You probably have single friends, and you want to ensure that your single friends are encouraged and don't miss out on things simply because they are single. And so I think in some ways, uh, we have to, as best we can, be better friends, those of us that are married, to those of us that are single. So the question is how? Well, one thing I'll say is come back next week because we're speaking specifically on friendship and practical things for all of us. So I would encourage you to please come back next week. Um, But for now, um, we all, here's what I would say. All of us need to have close friends that are not just our spouse. Not a ton, but we need to at least have a handful of people that we love and do life with. And so the question is, how can we do this well for those that are single? So if you're married, there's a couple of quick practical questions to ask yourself. Um, number one, when was the last time I had a single person over for dinner with my family? If I'm married, when was the last time that I invited a single person over for dinner with my family? And if you say, you know what, it's been a long time, he'll encourage you. Let's change that this month. What would it look like this month to invite someone who is single over for dinner with your family this month? Another question is, when have I unintentionally not invited a single person to something because they didn't have a spouse? Not on purpose, but when have I unintentionally not invited a single person to something because they didn't have a spouse? Maybe I was like, well, everyone else is going to be married, and I don't want them to feel awkward. Here's what you need to know. Singleness is feeling awkward a lot. I would let, let your single friends decide whether or not they don't want to come, as opposed to deciding for them. So if you're hanging out and you've got a lot of married people, still invite your single friends. You can let them know, but let them decide whether it's going to be hard for them or not. Don't decide for them. Don't let them miss out on things just because they aren't married. Another question. Uh, Do I need to apologize to any of my single friends for jokes I have made or things I have said in regards to their singleness? Do I need to apologize to my single friends for jokes that I've made or things that I've said in regards to their singleness? Things that we mentioned previously. Well, you just need to be content or think about how much, how much freedom you have or all of these things. Listen, people who are single and don't want to be single, it is a deep wound that is really hard to deal with. And so maybe we need to apologize to some of our friends. Two more things. Understand that when your spouse goes out of town, that is not the same thing as being a single parent. So again, this is stuff that I heard. This is not me, like this is telling me too. Um, Being a single parent is a 24-7 job. It is hard if you're married and your spouse goes out of town for the weekend or whatever. I get that it's more work, but it's not being a single parent because your spouse is coming home. A single parent is financially obligated on their own, has to take their kids everywhere on their own. It is not the same thing when your spouse goes out of town than, than it is when you have no spouse at all. And so I would encourage those of us who are single when our spouses go out of town not to make jokes that we're single parenting it for the weekend, not to post about it because that is not the same thing. And then last but not least, here's my encouragement to all of us, is to ask single people for advice on all topics, even your marriage. 
Here's what I found. Typically, people who are not in a season of life get asked about something that they might not necessarily have a lot of experience on. They are way more humble and wise than people who think they know what they're talking about. And hear me, I have heard a ton of bad marriage advice from people who are married. Okay, so just because you're married does not mean um, that, that you actually know sometimes what you're talking about. And so uh, marriage, dating, whatever, and be, in, be intentional about asking single people for advice. Even in the stuff we heard here briefly, we heard some wisdom. And I think that's what we're missing out on if those of us who are married are not intentional with, those, or with our friends who are single. And so as I close, um, I know it's a lot. Let me just um, say this. Uh, if you're in Christ, the only way you know this, your family is the church. Now, when I say that, it's not the same. I know like your nuclear family, it's a little bit different. But I just want to say that all of us, single married, are a part of the family of God. And we should, treat, uh, we should engage each other like that. Last thing I'll read, Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 12. He's in Nazareth, his hometown, and he's teaching some people. And then, it, then this happens. It says, while he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my brothers and here, here are my mother and brothers. But whoever... Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, here's, I, just for time's sake, I'm not going to really get into it right here. Uh, the primary way in the New Testament we see the family of God expanding is not by having children, but by making disciples. So yes, we can have children, absolutely. But the primary way we're supposed to expand the kingdom of God is by making disciples, not just by having kids, getting married and having kids and think we've done the job. That's what we see in Scripture. And so, again, as I close, I just ask this question. What would it look like for there to be no lonely people at New City Church? Now, again, to be frank, sometimes our loneliness is self-created for all of us. Married or not, we can stay at home. It's easier to stay at home on our phones watching Netflix than to go and do stuff. So I, I, I just want to recognize sometimes it's, it's on us a little bit. But what, for those, who are, uh, those of us who are married, I would say this. It is on us. It is on, it is on us more than it is on those who are single to try to create spaces where people don't feel so alone. And so again, as I close, remember this, singleness are, singles are not second-class citizens. Singleness is not a punishment by God, and marriage is not the ultimate goal. God came for all of us to redeem all of us, to invite all of us into his kingdom and into his family, whether we're married or whether we're single. So let's pray.